0: By the way, we're still here. Radio still works. It doesn't transmit the, the coronavirus. But also, the, the the programming and the content can be really uh, beneficial to people just to hear music. It, it heals us. It, it, it pulls us together in ways that, um, that are really powerful in times of crisis. And so I'm glad we're here for it.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. My name is Paul Reismandel. Hello, everybody. Eric Klein here.
2: Hi, I'm Jennifer Waits.
1: And we're pleased to welcome Nathan Moore, General Manager of WTJU-FM at the University of Virginia, as well as the Staff Advisor to WXTJ to Radio Survivor today. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. really glad to be here. So we're here in uh, for our second kind of look at how community and college radio stations are dealing with uh, the COVID, the coronavirus pandemic. Last week on the program on episode number two thirty-seven, you know, we talked it about it very much from a community radio perspective. We talked with Brian Edwards Tekert, who is a co-host of Upfront, a morning news program on Pacifica Station KPFA in Berkeley, California, as well as Ernesto Aguilar, who is the program director for the National Federation of Community Broadcasters. And this week we kind of want to bring college radio into the picture. Colleges and universities have been a place where some of the shutdowns kind of first happened as uh, many colleges and universities were on spring break and have been coming back to do online programming and not having students on campus. And of course, though, there are radio stations there. And that's one reason we definitely wanted to bring Nathan Moore into the conversation because you are a staff advisor to to a college station there at University of Virginia WXTJ, but also you, you have another hat where you are a general manager of the community radio station housed there WTJU. And so I think, you know, your perspective on this and especially, you know, we're now a couple more weeks in can really help us understand, you know, how this is affecting both college communities as well as uh, the communities at large and and what advice you might have for folks at stations of all kinds and how they can continue to move forward and to cope and continue to serve both the communities, the listening community, as well as really the station communities, students and, and volunteers. And Jennifer, I know you've been following the situation uh, very closely. You've been posting updates about how the pandemic is affecting college radio there at radiosurvivor.com. So I thought if you could kind of give us a, a little bit of a sense for where we are in the situation, as we mentioned last week, keeps changing. Uh, very quickly you know we're going to recording right now on March 20th our last program was recorded on March 13th of 2020 in that time normally Eric and I are in the same studio here my home studio in Portland Oregon and uh, we are both remote now a couple miles away yet but both connecting uh, via the internet of course Nathan is remote uh, from Charlottesville Virginia and Jennifer you're remote from San Francisco California but I think all of us are, uh, you know, our situations may be changing day to day here. So so how is uh, college radio now working through? What are you hearing about what's going on at college radio stations around the country in this pandemic?
2: Yeah, I mean, it has been changing minute by minute, day by day. And I report on college radio culture every Friday on Radio Survivor. I write a column about it. And this week I decided to write two different columns about it because things were changing so rapidly and the first thing you know that's been happening is that college many colleges and universities have now moved to virtual instruction for the rest of the semester and in some cases that means students do not have access to their radio stations physically and it varies from place to place but Every day this week, I've been getting more and more updates about stations that are moving to entirely automated programming. Some stations have actually shut down entirely because they don't have the technology to broadcast remotely or even run automation. And and it's different from community to community. I'm in California, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and we've had a shelter in place beginning early this week, which I believe yesterday was extended to all of California. So where I am, there are many college radio stations that are are running entirely on automation because they don't want to have students in the studio. And and some campuses are also um, asking students to leave campus entirely and move out of the dorms. So that has a a pretty major impact on what's going on with radio. In response to some of that, the College Radio Foundation held a virtual meeting this week, or a virtual meeting on March 19th, I should say, and over 100 people participated in this call from radio stations from all over the United States, talking about, advice on on how to continue broadcasting, even if uh, not everybody can be in the studio physically. Uh, legal advice was also given by um, a broadcast attorney because some stations might be having to shut down their transmitter.
1: Right, um, and that's something, uh, just to, to put some perspective there, that's something that the Federal Communications Commission cares about. Um, if a station is off the air for any extended period of time, Typically, you need to inform the FCC. Although I understand that there are exceptions for uh, colleges and schools, high schools and universities specifically that allows them to to be shut down during sort of break periods, right? And and did the, exactly,
2: uh, the, yeah did did That's, the uh, you know,
1: lawyer CBI's lawyer uh, touch on that at all?
2: Yeah, David Oxenford. Um, he, you know, in his opinion, that if if a campus is closed for a break, and this would be considered a break if the campus is largely shut down, Um, it's his understanding and his advice that you would not need to alert the FCC about that sort of shutdown. So, for example, there might be um, FCC-licensed college radio stations that are shutting off their transmitter until September. Hmm. And and they wouldn't necessarily have to inform the FCC but they would have to be a station that is licensed to the university so you know there are different licensing
1: oh, right. structures at some not an station. independent so, nonprofit that's sort of uh, affiliated with the university or exactly. college so, so that's Jennifer, interesting i'd like i'd like to hear more about
3: this call where 100 um, representatives from college radio were were discussing what to do during the pandemic. But I also want to bring Nathan Moore, the general manager of college radio station, community radio station, WTJU, into the conversation. I wonder if I could ask like a, a double, a two-part question to both of you. Um, and Jennifer, you can answer first. I'm wondering if anybody on the call um, were was addressing the role that college radio and a community radio station that's on a college campus, the role that those stations play during an emergency and whether or not um anybody's trying to stay on the air in order to um you know fulfill that public service uh to listeners who who might be depending on the radio either for um news and information or just for um you know cultural enrichment and relief during during anxiety producing times like these
2: yeah there was there wasn't as much talk about the emergency role of stations um but that doesn't mean that that wasn't top of mind for people, yeah. um, and and there were definitely stations on the call who are continuing to broadcast, and and there was a lot of conversation about the importance of the college radio stations to listeners in the community and also to members of the college radio station that that there's a a very important social aspect to participating in college radio and. And and there was a lot of interesting brainstorming about ways to keep the students involved with the station, even if they couldn't physically be in the station. Yeah. So yeah, because finding mean... ways to continue to contribute uh, remotely and the technology that can help make that happen. That, to me, was a very positive aspect of the call, because I think a lot of us at this juncture are feeling, you know, a bit... Um,
1: isolated alienated
2: (laughs) isolated (laughs) you know pick your socially
0: distanced yeah (laughs) Yeah. socially distanced we're
2: having a a lot of feelings and so to me um i left that call feeling more energized Mm. that that at this point people are also trying to find ways to um to bring the creative amazing aspects of college radio to keep that alive and 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 try out different things experiment yeah, with different I mean, ways of communicating.
3: One of the one of the one of the good things about this current socially distanced pandemic um while it might be difficult to work and make money uh, and that's very serious for food and housing issues it's also a time for some people who have the um the privilege uh it's it's a very good time to contribute creatively to your communities um in ways that radio producers and and people that that spin records and love music and culture um they have a lot to contribute during these times and maybe they might even have more more free time nathan moore general manager of wtju in at the university of virginia in charlottesville um what's your take on our conversation so far
0: yeah i mean i i my own stations uh, i have two um wtju is the is the more community oriented station and we have Uh, done a whole slew of things to stay on the air. There's a whole bunch of tech things I could go into, but the short version is the university has cleared us to go ahead at at this point and continue to allow one DJ at a time, um, but really nobody else at at the same time. Obviously, there are some, you know, transitions. Um, We are, are... uh, telling everyone to to maintain social distance of six feet during those show transitions as best we can, <laughs> and we've also got some isopropyl alcohol and uh, and and uh, paper towels in the studio to to wipe things down from time to time. The studio's cleaner than it's ever been, uh, <laughs> honestly, and uh, and so <laughs> we're uh, we're keeping it on the air. We also have a few backups. We do have an automation system. Uh, it's kind of a DIY system that we built a couple of years ago that we are. Um, uh, sort of beefing up to be better and to, um, also make it easier to add in, uh, current information, uh, and local, like, like local announcements, uh, on a more, um, uh, short notice basis. And then we also have set up five home studios to be able to, um, basically take over the airwaves from home, uh, including my own that I'm recording from right now. Although we're not on the air right now at WTJU, <laughs> um, so yeah, we've got a whole slew of ways to kind of keep the keep the wheels on the bus.
2: Where all are those five studios?
0: Oh, they're in uh, homes, uh, the homes of uh, three of my staffers and two of my sort of
1: super volunteers. And just to clarify, WTJU is is a community radio station, right? So these are folks who are yeah. primarily uh, community volunteers; they're not necessarily enrolled students.
0: Right. Most WTJU on-air staff, on-air DJs at this point, are, are not students. Um, students are always welcome, and we do count a number of students among our, mm-hmm. our weekly uh, DJs. But um, but we have far, far more students on my second station, which is WXTJ, which is entirely student-run and student-staffed. Uh, that one is basically all on automation at this point. Uh, the students went into spring break just before this all hit. Um, and then the university basically told them the Wednesday of spring break, don't come back if you... If you can't you know um uh, if you if you can stay home do and if you've already come back try to go home um mm-hmm. and so um so there wasn't a whole lot left to do except continue running automation on that station um fortunately it's pretty good automation the playlists that we have there are curated by WXTJ DJs, uh, current and, and past um so it's not um it's not like the programming is completely foreign or something but at the same time it's not uh you
1: know sort of live uh, live hosted Mm-hmm. And would you have a provision there for WXTJ, which I believe is also a low power FM station? Uh, if if you had some students who are interested in trying to contribute their shows uh, remotely from home or or elsewhere, uh, is that something that that you would be prepared to do? You would want to be able to do. Would that be too much of a challenge at this point with with everything going on? Um,
0: I would be interested. In fact, I actually just got a you know the. If every student wanted to host shows remotely right now, it could be a little overwhelming given uh, our staff capacity and, and the other stuff we got to do for the whole operation. All that said, if we had some students who are really keen to do it, yeah, I'd find a way to help and make that happen for sure. Um, right just today, actually, just before this call, um, one of my students uh, had this great idea. There's a lot of student organizations at UVA, uh, like like um, uh, you know, drama organizations that wanted to put on their spring performance, the spring play or other kinds of performance organizations that just won't have a venue or space or time to do it now. And so wondering if there's a way to do that on the radio. So maybe we can uh, have all the Shakespeare on the lawn folks uh, record their voices and, and we can piece it together into a radio drama that we play in WXTJ. So, you know, special things like that that I think are meaningful and would have a, a, an impact on, um, uh, on the students on grounds here at UVA. Those are the kinds of things that I would really like to put our, our energy into if we can make it work.
3: Yeah, we'd love to hear on Radio Survivor. You you have to let us know if anything comes together so that we can share that
1: with our audience online and, and on the radio show. Jennifer, sure. uh, you've I mean I think I've been hearing about some stations doing some creative collaborations like it. It's something we mentioned kind of prospectively in our last program, but it sounds like uh, some stations have been able to go forward with it.
2: Yeah, over in the past week, W X O X. Art FM at their community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky, they broadcast a live performance by two different musicians, uh, Jonathan Richmond and Bonnie Prince Billy, who had had a show canceled mm. in Louisville, and so instead of instead of there being no music at all, they offered to host them performing live over the air, which was great. I listened to it and it was amazing to be able to take part in that over the weekend and and exceeded their expectations to such a degree that they had to ask people to drop off the stream if they were in FM listening range so that they could make more room for listeners. and And then they even got another station to offer up a stream so that they could have more capacity. So it was very successful. As far as attracting an audience and, and also kind of a nice way to take a break from from the news and listen to some music.
1: But that brings up an interesting I, point, right? Uh, and, and is that with them relying on the Internet here, you know, I've heard that Netflix is actually throttling the quality they're delivering in Europe. Uh, because so many more people are at home watching movies, and and the infrastructure can't necessarily handle it. And in this particular case, um, you know, the amount of streams that uh, WXOX had available to to broadcast online maxed out, right? Because people are accustomed, especially with a lot of low power FM stations, of listening to them online. And people, I don't think listeners always realize, and often people who are even at stations realize that. Um, like internet broadcasting capacity isn't have the same kind of scale as broadcast if you if your broadcast signal reaches uh, like uh, people in in a 10 mile radius everyone there can turn on their radio and it and all or, at or once or not, all, at, all once, at once and it has no effect and if you add 500,000 more people they can still turn on their radio, but every single stream matters. Every single stream not only just matters, but stations pay for this by stream. And so I wondered, um, you know, Nathan, you know, certainly I'm sure that online streaming is a is an important and crucial element of, of what you do there at WTJU and WXTJ. And I wonder if you're if you're seeing any additional demand on, on your internet infrastructure there.
0: Well, so being a university licensee, this is a little bit less critical because we do get to tap into UVA's uh, sort of core network for our streams, mm-hmm. and so uh, you know the, the the data caps that a lot of smaller operations are have to deal with, I don't I don't have to deal with in the same way. Um, I, I'll be honest, with everything else going on this week, I haven't looked at our streaming data mm-hmm. this week, so I don't really know the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, I will I will echo though um, some of the some of the ways that we've been. Uh, responding to with programming to this pandemic uh, as people are just sort of stuck at home. I've I, I made sort of a tongue-in-cheek Facebook event uh, called uh, Sitting Quietly at Home Listening to the Radio uh, that lasted for like 10 days. And, you know, <laughs> it was just sort of a, a funny way to say, like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're still here. Radio still works. It doesn't transmit the the coronavirus. Um, but also the, the, the programming and the content can be really uh, beneficial to people just to hear... Music it it heals us it 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 pulls us together in ways that um that are really powerful in times of crisis and so I'm glad we're here for it we've uh, also done if I can talk for a minute about um, our version of that live music thing uh, so everything I do at WTJU has partnerships involved and there's a folk music school here in Charlottesville called the Front Porch and they've decided to start doing uh, no audience concerts and so they've got one or two musicians playing on the stage and then they'll they'll mic them and put it out there as a um as a, a, a live video stream on the internet and we're going to broadcast those twice a week uh every week in march and april um and so that's where we're getting our live music from uh live music's been a huge part of wtg's programming for a long time and it's really a drag when the university told us you can't have more than one person at a time because there's really no way to to make that work but if somebody else is already doing it we can pull in a partner stream and make that happen so i'm really glad for that um yeah so that's one way we're kind of connecting people back we got some others too
2: I heard uh, I heard of a similar thing at WRFL at University of Kentucky in Lexington and and there's some local musicians who are doing home concerts, you know, home solo mm-hmm. performances, and they are also going to work with them to pick up and air those streams. so I, I love I love to hear about these collaborations, and I think yeah. people are missing going out to live shows, so it's it's the perfect way to respond as a radio station.
0: I mean, in our case, we can literally amplify some of the cool music that's being put out there on, on uh, streams right now, bring in, you know, bigger audience. And a lot of these working artists also, I mean, their entire income stream just turned off like a faucet. And so if we can help bring attention to what their donation pages and all that, then all the better. Yeah,
3: it's actually, Nathan, I, I'm going to take this opportunity That's you know, uh, you're listening to Radio Survivor right now, and we're talking about college and community radio in the time of pandemic. This is a part two of the conversation. It, it may very well uh, continue <laughs> to, into the foreseeable future. Part three might be next week. Uh, but on part one, um, at the conclusion of our conversation, I sort of um, threw out into the ether this notion that... Um, the gig economy and artist economy and performer economy is one of the first to be uh, impacted by this, uh, this situation where jobs have just uh, yeah, been erased overnight. And I'm, I wonder what role a community radio station um, can play right now. What, what can be done about the situation where performers are, are completely out of work?
0: Yeah. So there's the acute need, right? Um where we can hopefully bring attention to various performers and and uh, m- many of them have set up donation pages for their own uh, uh their own work, their own uh, income. Um, and so, if they've got some kind of performance that they're streaming, I'd be—you know—I'm always glad to try and bring that in and, and play it. Uh, we air a lot of different kinds of music on WTJU, so as long as the quality is halfway decent, we'll try and make it work and bring people uh, uh, music and, and culture like we do year in, you know, week in week out. Um, there's also a, a sort of next level way to meet that acutely uh, here in Charlottesville. A couple of uh, arts nonprofits have just created. Um, a new fund, uh, basically a relief fund for artists and musicians uh, at the local community foundation um, and seeded that with $6,000. And so we're working on ways to try and help support that, amplify that, encourage donations to that. Um, Artists can apply for uh, uh, sort of small grants out of that, out of that fund. Um, And there's a few other kind of grassroots pop up ways uh, of support that have already popped up as well. And so it's really cool to see this, you know, community response and we can, do whatever we can to sort of like shine a bright light on all those things. Long-term there's, there's bigger questions and you know, we're in nonprofit radio, so we can't do too much exact political advocacy, but I think there's a lot of questions that are already coming to the fore and are going to just get stronger and stronger is as much as we have reoriented this economy of ours towards, you know, sort of gig labor. Um, where do those people go? What do they do when the gigs dry up with no choice at all? I mean, like, how You know, <laughs> when there's no sick leave, when there's no health care access, when there's yeah. no uh, uh, living wage guaranteed, you know, what what happens? And so I think there's some bigger questions that community radio can can help explore and, and hopefully convene some conversations around.
3: Yeah, I, I just want to hijack today's episode to I'm having a memory of um, when I was on the air in uh, northern California on KPFA in the aftermath of the Great Recession in 2008, 2009. Um, I had a call-in radio show that uh, aired during the storytelling chunk of the of Sunday evening. And so instead of opening the phones and having people um, talk about their political opinions, it was time to open the phones and just talk, just share stories. And um, I had one caller in particular who was uh, a handyman who called in one week uh, during the Great Recession talking about how they were transitioning to living in their truck and how difficult it was. And um, it was really hard for me as the host of this show uh, because I had no idea what to do at all with this information, this story that this person was sharing with me of personal hardship. And then uh, that same individual called in uh, two weeks later and just mentioned that the act of sharing their story with the audience, uh, as invisible as they might be, um, was really helpful to them. And that they felt less scared and isolated and their uh, their concerns were lessened. And so I really think I'm just putting in right now in the middle of today's episode where we're talking about community and college radio in times of the pandemic, which is also uh, turning into an unnamed uh, you know, recession. The COVID recession, I'm sure, is some it's going to it's going to have a name eventually, um, that there's a real role to be played um, to strengthen uh, community ties, to hear each other's voices. Uh, during um, a time when um, when our societies are being stretched to the limit. Yeah,
1: yeah, I'd like to turn that into a question. I mean, neither more, you're, you're the general manager of WTJU at Charlottesville, Virginia, at the University of Virginia, and you, you mentioned, you know, sort of uh, things that that uh, a community radio station can do is to begin highlighting these questions: What happens to people's livelihoods when when we have an economy that's shifting to the so-called gig economy? Like, what what are you able to do right now on WTJ? You do you have uh, like talk shows or or news shows where you can begin right. to well, I, create that I'm space for the discussion? Your-
3: I'm going to hijack your question, Paul, because back in August 20th, 2019, uh, Nathan Moore was on Radio Survivor, episode number 207, and uh, Nathan, you, you told us about how uh, your community radio station, which which plays music primarily, uh, had carts being played that were highlighting the stories of local... Uh,
0: uh, Sonic IDs around the uh, Confederate Monuments Tour and other, uh, I right. think that was the one that we were talking about. Yeah. Right,
3: well, as well as the um, the undocumented workers that are in oh, the yeah. community and there in Charlottesville, Virginia. And, mm-hmm.
0: uh, so I'll give you a quick uh, roadmap of, of kind of the sorts of things we do. Um, WTJU is predominantly a music station. We hear lots of kinds of music from classical to jazz and blues to folk and roots to rock and electronic and, and weird. Uh, it's a great station uh, for exploring and and sort of tearing down musical boundaries and having these great experiences around music. Um, in between the songs, we play a lot of interstitial bits, right? And and sometimes it's little promos for the next show coming up, but a lot of times it's uh, sonic IDs and audio portraits and, and the voices of people in our own community. And so, you know, we're only... You know, a week into this current pandemic and all the closures that have come with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now, we're just trying to meet sort of acute needs. Um, one thing that we're doing that's very much in line with that music brand is we're trying to play those uh, internet streams of of live music performances that are online. We're trying to give those a broadcast presence as well to to bring them to more ears. Yeah. But then we're doing two other things as well that I think are both pretty cool and that are both really really tied in with with uh, partner organizations. Um, and these are partnerships that we've cultivated for years too. So I think that's another thing that I would—I would. I would uh, it's not the best time to tell stations to do this now because we're already in the pandemic. But it's always nice to to have the partners going into something like this. And so when the time comes, you're ready to work together. Um, one of them that's been really critical is this local uh, news nonprofit. It's an all online journalism site called Charlottesville Tomorrow. Um, they are a, a public service journalism nonprofit uh, that's been doing really, really great work with a newsroom of three people. Um, they dropped everything to do COVID-19-related coverage. And so we've been taking their spots and making daily news segments out of it, as well as uh, a raft of, of timely uh, PSAs, um, everything from from public safety and health stuff to uh, changes to unemployment benefits in Virginia, all that kind of stuff, and so you know just getting the information out there to our audience, which is not a news audience, but it 's still sometimes the mm-hmm. uh, we may be a cultural organization, but sometimes the news you know <laughs> is is the culture we got to talk about, so that's that 's that. Um, The other one that's kind of uh, definitely more fun, um, or just, I don't know, brings a little bit of levity to the whole thing, is uh, we've also started airing, uh, so we're partnering with another arts nonprofit in town called the Bridge Progressive Arts Initiative, Uh, and my pal Alan over there uh, actually came up with the idea to do quarantine haikus, (laughs) and so they're they're encouraging everybody to write... Haikus and then video record themselves, you know, reading it and then send them the video and they're posting it to social media. Uh, Same kind of model, we're taking the audio out of that, slapping a station tag on it, encouraging people to also, you know, connect and write their own and send them in. Yeah, and so you know we've got about uh, fifteen or so of those in the in the hopper right now, but yeah, I'm sure more will come. And again, it's just a way to stay connected and to uh, encourage a little bit of self expression and and community, and just remind uh, all of us that that we're not alone. And yeah, that I there's mean, it,
3: it it feels like nothing in this uh, in a in a situation where we want to talk about concrete ways to help people, you know, food and housing, but um, hearing each other's voices and talking. Uh, to each other uh, is something that radio um, has always been here for, and um, mm-hmm. it Well,
1: and I think I'm really glad to hear you're doing this in, in this sort of drop-in, kind of interstitial kind of way. Um, I think too often, you know, in radio programming, community and college radio included, but also across, unfortunately, commercial broadcasting. Uh, we can too much get into this mindset of talk or music talk versus music and when you leave the united states and you listen to the radio and other and other english language co- countries you know you will hear blocks of music programming on say uh radio new zealand but they still do news at the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour and not you know, not long blocks, but enough that, that you can have an understanding of what's going on in the world and, and informational segments and, and they might drop in sort of the types of things that you're talking about. It could be community profiles, can be short discussions or informational bits, uh, PSAs as you put them. You know, and I think mm-hmm. that there's there's a lot of opportunities for stations that maybe aren't in the place to develop uh, their own newsroom that aren't, you know, able to hire or or really help to to train either either professional or citizen journalists uh, to nevertheless put that extra information and, and really that human touch which Which really helps to to distinguish I think a college or community station from uh, the kind of automation really you're going to be hearing on on a lot of commercial radio and, and other places where you're really only getting station IDs maybe telling you about the songs and then and then if it's a commercial station commercials it can really actually bring that touch, especially in a time when it's harder to have uh, the, the a live host all the time.
2: yeah, and things that are specific to your audience. Mm-hmm the another college radio station Newman College which is in Aston Pennsylvania they've done some Q&A with administrators from the college so some very specific types of call-in shows where students can get their questions answered about how do we navigate on campus so i like i like to hear about these stations that are taking these very appropriate approaches based on where they are mm-hmm. and and public service announcements i think that was I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that any station can do is freshen up their roster of public service announcements so that you're adding in new messages yeah. that are very pertinent, like food banks that that mm-hmm. are now um, you know, like in my area, public public school sites are are offering food every single day. so, getting mm-hmm. that brand new information out to the audience. Yeah, one of the, one
3: of the most uh one of the most interesting things I well, uh, one of my pitches for a public service announcement right now in the in this uh week of uh March 23rd, 2020 is um the store Grocery store times that are uh, 65 and over only. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really right. that's that's uh, that's very ripe for a PSA on on every station, especially where that's happening. Um, if you're in a part of the country where that's not happening, there's um, especially in California and on the West Coast. Uh, the, well, the I, yeah, I see. stores are doing that like
1: news websites doing this you know they they you know your newspaper website will say here are all the here's the the restaurants that are offering a curbside delivery or or home delivery here are the times when right exactly as you put it and that's something which is very easy for you know even on a daily basis i think for a community or college station to have somebody record that uh in, you know for a 30 mm-hmm. seconds or a minute and and, and put yeah. it in into rotation. I wanted to ask you though, you know, so Nathan Moore, you are the general manager of uh, WTJU, which is a community radio station at the University of Virginia. And then you're also the staff advisor to the student low power FM station, WXTJ. And I wonder, are you putting out any sort of messaging on your low power FM at the moment, acknowledging at least, you know, the circumstance in which you are, you're on automation and uh, students are not by and large, are not on campus and they're certainly not in the station.
0: Uh, it's minimal. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> um, there's, there's just a, co- it's, it's, uh, I think we've inserted a few station IDs that include that information mm-hmm. into the rotation. Sure. Uh, that's about as far as that one has gotten, to be perfectly honest. Uh, we've really been focusing a lot more on the, the 91.1 FM signal at this time.
1: Yeah. because we um, you've I got say, more coverage with that, of course.
0: Yeah, we certainly do. And I will say too, just to, by way of example, just to flesh out a little bit of what y'all were talking about with how to use those interstitial time periods, right? Most stations that I know of have some time carved out each hour for you know public service announcements or promos or underwriting spots or whatever, and and uh, and WTG certainly does. We we have carved out about five minutes every hour for those things uh, during floating breaks, and we ask host to just, you know, work around that. Um, There's no reason why those five minutes needs to all be the same generic announcements um, Mm -hmm. about, I don't know, how to find the bathroom on campus or (laughs) uh, ad council PSAs about Smokey the Bear or whatever. I mean, they can really be used for this like public service uh, information that's really out there. Um, And for other things too, that, that really help build our community. To me, it's those, those extra five minutes per hour. um, I mean, so right what's the point of a college or community radio station these days when you can pull up just about any song you might want to hear on Spotify or YouTube. And to me, there's certainly value in the human curation of it all, but there's also enormous value in having that actual connection to a community and to the people and to the voices that make it happen. Um, And, and, to the, the the social fabric that that makes us all human in each other's presence, and so to me those those little five minutes per hour are enormously valuable um, because that's where you can do a lot of that kind of programming work. There's a tendency sometimes that I've observed, maybe it's a little bit old fashioned. I don't know if people are still doing it in the same way, but. In community radio, there's always a tendency to do like, oh, we're going to do a half hour show about this. That'll be a special right. show. And then we've got it covered. It's like, yeah, okay, maybe. Um, but you know, how many listeners do I have in a given half hour? I mean, in right. WTGU, it's, it's, I don't know, 300, 500, maybe seven or 800 during a, a, a key time of the day. Um, but if I take that in, if I put that half hour online for those who really want to dive deep into it, and then pull a bunch of little one minute bits out of it that all drive people to that online page, um, now I've reached all 13,000 of our
1: listeners. By playing it throughout the whole schedule, um, that that's a really great point as, as well because you're also reaching listeners who may not elect to listen to that half hour, um, you know. And and I, and I and I say that not not critically. I mean, I'm not looking down at, at folks. You know, there are times yeah. when I don't want to listen necessarily to talk radio. I would really prefer to listen to music, and I you know I I it may be a lot to get me over over that hump to want to listen to that half hour of talk, but I certainly will almost always sit through you know especially on a, on a college or community station where they're not commercials but they're much more interesting generally speaking much more interesting announcements you know certainly sit through the hour the minute or two in between songs especially because the the number that i will sit through on any non-commercial station is l- going to be much f- shorter than than what i'm going to sit through on a, on a commercial yeah. station listening to commercials
3: hey Uh, It occurs to me, Jennifer, have we asked you what your experience at College Radio Station has been recently? This week? Yeah. No. What's going on?
2: (laughs) Well, this week, so I'm at KFJC at Foothill College where... We historically have had live DJs twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. We don't have any automation system whatsoever.
3: Yeah, for one hundred years, right. No, just joking.
2: For like one hundred years. And and but it's, my it's been show 50 this years, right? My show this week was the first show that we aired an archived show of. <laughs> and but following that we've had live DJs for the most part. So so people are still coming in and doing their shows, but now we're starting to air some archives if DJs can't come in, don't feel comfortable coming in. And, and so what I did, I, I handpicked an old show of mine that I wanted played in place of me being there. And then I was able to call into the station at the very beginning and chat a bit on air live and then an hour into it i called in again and chatted a bit on air and then during the entirety of the show i sat at home listening to the show and chatting on my facebook page for my dj so i i chatted along commented on the music that was playing uh, made comments about things that were in the archive show that weren't as relevant anymore like i might have been announcing upcoming events that weren't obviously we're from a year ago because we aired a show of mine from 1 year ago mm. um and then i had read some public acer- public service announcements in that archive show that that were for events from 2019 and so in my facebook commentary i i provided updates about oh you know here's information about this event this year so i was trying to replicate in a way doing a live show by simply just listening to it from home and then commenting in real time. And and not that many people interacted with me, but um you know, it was an experiment and it at least made me feel like I was participating live at the station. Hmm. And and it gave me my break for the week like I normally like to have in doing my show.
1: Right. You know, I I you know, you talked that you you dialed in, like literally you called in on the telephone from home. Is that what I understand, Jennifer?
2: I called in on my telephone yes. yes
1: and 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 uh I well, you know because we've been talking about these remote studios, right, and we we kind of we, we say it all like this just this normal thing, but in fact, I mean that's a great leap forward in technology, frankly, within the last ten or fifteen years that such a thing is even possible for us to do. In radio and, and and it's being done, of course, also in, in podcasting, which is people often think of as something people do at home, but obvi- but ob- but many do in studios. And, and Nathan, you said that you set up for WTJU. You've got some like five remote studios set up, and I don't want to get too deep into the technical weeds here, but honestly, I, I mean, I kind of want to know like how how do you how do you do that? I mean, if I'm sitting here and and, I, and I'm at a, I'm at a low power FM. And, you know, we're having, you know, there are people who do not want to come in perhaps because they're social distancing or they, or they're, they're being told to shelter in place and they, and they don't want to, to go out and take that risk and they've got time to fill and maybe they prefer to be live rather than, than automated. I mean, how, how do you have a remote place studio, like in your house right now where you're speaking to us from?
0: Yeah, it, it, um, There are like three core components that make it work. Uh, One is um, a USB mixer, just a small little, we're just using a small little Alesis USB mixer at each location. Uh, That has a microphone and laptop, whatever other sound inputs to that mixer. Um, It connects to um, a laptop that mounts a web stream. Uh, We use a freeware tool called Butt, broadcast using this tool. Um, And then that in turn talks to, we've just got a set of standard credentials that talk to our web server back at the studio. Uh, I have an enormously talented tech guy who's also sort of DIY'd uh, a little script that um, when we push a button in a little web browser tool, it will override the existing audio feed with whatever's coming from the
1: Outpost studio. And so um, that's how we do it. So you're running basically a tiny little online radio station from your house effectively when yeah. you want to do this. Yeah. And you've got yep. basically your studio there at the university is a listener, right? You're just streaming it yeah. to one listener uh, for all intents and purposes. Uh, essentially, yeah. We, we'd
0: use it slightly differently than that. But yeah, basically, it just uh, it, it mounts a web stream using our own uh, uh, server back at the server studio. Device. And in turn, that gets relayed onto the, the main station.
1: I mean, you know, and I think people are accustomed to using other sort of uh, solutions. I mean, I, I mean, it seems to me you could probably do it, you know, even with to some extent. Although music, I guess, gets in the way of doing things like Facebook Live or YouTube Live or uh, Twitch. Um, yeah, there's oh, another,
3: yeah. Um, there is another superpower of radio stations in this day and age. In 2020, you can stream music on your radio station. Um, without being uh, blocked
1: or... or uh, Demonetized. You know, Angering yeah. the algorithmic... Uh, <laughs> exactly. You know. um, Music is free. And I know that there are sort of these standalone little appliances that radio stations can get too. Barracks B-A-R-I-X, is one one brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the brand Comrex is another brand where uh, instead of getting having to set up the laptop and having that kind of expertise, you can pretty much just connect them to the internet and uh, pair them up, and you know, not unlike pairing like a Bluetooth device, nearly. And they'll talk to each other, and you can send pretty good quality over the internet. I've had experience with those in the past, uh, using them uh, with the sports team, as in the sports coverage team at a, at the university where I was advisor, uh, so that they could do really nice quality play by plays uh, wherever they had Wi-Fi. But we also uh, use them for DJ nights, where they folks would go into uh, different clubs. Uh, where there yep. were uh, DJs and they could do a pretty high quality stream back to the station. They're a little more expensive, uh, you know, but they're not as expensive as you'd think they would be. And it's the kind of thing which might be a good idea for any uh, station, any college or community station or low power FM to think about having on hand uh, for these times that you don't expect, uh, so that you might be able to set up uh, people at home to do to do some uh, to do some streaming. Mm-hmm. And I'll say too,
0: there's a, a number of. Uh, so I was on the National Federation of Community Broadcasters call. Oh yes, which is the lo- is the largest NFCB webinar I've ever been on. There was 90 stations that were in on that thing. And uh, so you had almost, a,
2: you had a similar call to what uh, what College Radio Day put together this week, where you were specifically yes. talking about what stations are up to in this time. Yeah, and let's, let's yep, let we, listeners we sure know did.
3: that aren't that aren't community radio savvy that you were. Um, that we're talking about um, the National Federation of Community Broadcasters uh, hosted a call on uh, the week of of
0: March. Yeah, so it was on March 19th. And um, uh, yeah. And essentially, we're all kind of trying to figure out things with the same sort of questions. Um and so it's it's challenging. Um, you know, a lot of stations have tech and logistics questions, naturally. Some have, you know, well, what are we doing with programming? What are we do with volunteer management? But a lot of stations are using Comrex and Barrick systems, uh, for sure. They don't all kind of DIY patch it <laughs> the way we mm-hmm, do. But, mm-hmm, yeah. you know, that's just the, the blessing of having a, a tech guy around the station who's really talented.
1: And my question, did you set this up in anticipation was this something you sort of had maybe ready ready to go or roll out or is this something where you were like oh we're gonna need to do this so let's get it together we actually set this up about
0: a year and a half two years ago because I had a, uh, um, a really good classical music host who uh, moved about an hour and a half from from Charlottesville she still works in Charlottesville but coming in for a 6am show was not really in the cards and so uh, we let her be our first sort of guinea pig to do this uh, remote studio concept uh, way back um, uh, some time ago. And uh, and so we already had all the tech in place. Really, then doing this was uh, getting it set up for this pandemic response was really just a matter of getting a few more uh, mixers set up at different locations with a decent mic on each end.
1: Hmm. You know, yeah, last week... It
3: reminds me, uh, you know, your story is not about... Um- you know uh, uh accommodating a person with a disability or just accommodating a person with a very long morning commute, but it reminds me of how uh, if when when institutions like radio stations make accommodations for say people with disabilities, it's sort of like um, it's sort of like a practice run to make those very same accommodations uh, for for more people it's like it's a very useful uh, it's, a, it's a very good reason to go out of your way to, to try out these sorts of things like mm-hmm. remote studios.
0: You know, well, and I would say too. If I had a, a, a takeaway in all these kind of things, you know, the, the name of the game for us and any success we've had in our response to all this so far has really been just sort of being ready in certain respects. Uh, we had an automation system in place. We've made it a little better. We had a remote broadcasting system in place. We've added some some locations. We had a great relationship with a news organization. We're using it extensively. Uh, we had good relationships with a couple of, of performance arts organizations, and we're using those. I mean, it's really. Yeah. Just going into it with those uh, relationships and logistics
1: things already happening, it makes yeah. it so much easier. And and it, I think that also. You know, that's something which Ernesto Aguilar, who is the Program Director of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, emphasized to us on last week's show, um, that for some stations this may be a wake-up call for the preparedness, whether it's automation or in, in, in or having the remote broadcast capability, or both, or also these, org- these organizational ties. And it's something which I, I, I would also like to stress. I mean, I think it's something stations can still work on now, like the... From the standpoint is that you're still there, uh, you can still turn your transmitter on, and it may be a little more challenging, but it's still something that that better late than never. And, and certainly that will put you in good stead for the next unexpected uh, situation uh, that crops up. Nathan
3: Moore, general manager at the community radio station WTJU, which works on the campus of University of Virginia in Charlottesville. Nathan Moore is also the staff advisor for the student-run radio station WXTJ, which is a low-power FM station. We're talking on Radio Survivor about running community radio in times of pandemic. And Nathan, I'm wondering, you know, we're recording this interview on March 20th, 2020. It's going to air the following week. Um, not to put you on the spot to predict the future, but really, what what do you see as next week's challenges or challenges in the in the time that is in front of us uh, with radio stations during during the COVID nineteen pandemic?
0: I think the biggest challenge for us, at least, is going to be. Um how well does it work once we start stress testing our systems? (laughs) Once we have, you know, dozens and dozens of programmers who are pre-recording shows or, uh, uh, or or, um, hosting shows remotely or starting to get sick, um, you know, and so that's going to just be a bit of a challenge. Um, I think we can meet it, um, you know, and then of course the other challenge is just trying to continually have our ears and eyes on the ground with, um, with our community and see what the, the real needs are. Um, Not too long from now, we've got a pledge drive scheduled too. So, you know, the challenge will be messaging that in a way that um, isn't gauche, um, but that still makes sure the station has the funds it needs to sustain itself.
1: Yes, Nathan, that is certainly, I think, uh, the real test for all of us, right? Is the stress test is we set these things up or maybe we're on the fly, uh, getting used to doing, uh, zoom meetings. Uh, but how does this all work in practice? And maybe we're adding all new tools to our, to our toolbox here as we serve communities in radio. Um, in the last few minutes we have left here, you know, I wanted to share uh, a few numbers about radio listening that come to us, uh, Courtesy of the Infinite Dial Report, which is an annual survey of the listening habits, audio listening habits of United States citizens, people across the country. That's released by Edison Research and Triton Digital. This came out on March 19th. So for us, it's hot off the presses as we um, as we go to air. And the the thing that they track, one of the things they track is radio listening and, and who has radios in their home. And an interesting number to me is that every year we're seeing that fewer and fewer households actually have a regular radio receiver, a terrestrial broadcast receiver. Uh, 32% of people now in the United States say they do not have a radio. If you bump that up, and we're just looking at people who are ages 18 to 34, the majority of them now do not own radio receivers. 52% say they do not have a radio at home. But we go to the flip side, and we're not looking at home, but we go to the car, we still find that radio is the most common source of audio. Meaning, you know, we have folks who stream off their phones, they might still have a CD player, uh, they might have a smart dashboard, they might have sat- satellite radio. But AM/FM terrestrial radio is still the most common source. It's not the majority any longer, where it's now down to 50% in 2020. And that's down from 52% last year, 56% in 2018. Meanwhile, folks are tuning in to online audio. And this includes, you know, streamed radio or the stream of a terrestrial station. Or it also includes uh, things like Spotify or Pandora. Um, we're seeing that overall listening is pretty flat, but it's still very high. The interesting thing is that we're seeing more people who are aged uh, 35 and up tuning into online radio. That's the real bump there. Uh, it's now up to about 76% of those folks who are age 35 and older, whereas uh, folks who are 12 to, th- to 34, 86%. So the vast majority of them are listening to online radio. And, and what's interesting to me here is that You know, we're talking about radio here in a time of pandemic and we're talking about stations that have uh, presences that are generally also online as well as on the radio. And, And it reinforces to me that on the one hand that that air signal is still very important. Uh, Because you can listen, you know, in your car and if you have a radio and still at least, uh, you know, majority of households still in the country have a radio. It's there. But that clearly we're seeing that move to online listening and even more so online listening for folks who are younger Younger than thirty-five, and I wondered, uh, Nathan, as you know, someone who, who works with college students as well as community volunteers, uh, how does this data strike you? How, do, in terms of both, like what you experience there on a college campus, or you know how how you think about you know, what you need to be prepared for in terms of how your station serves uh, the community?
0: I think that that uh, jibes very well with what I uh, hear and see in terms of media consumption habits of my students here at UVA. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of a, a line one time I was talking to a student and, and actually one of my staffers was, was talking to a student and said, uh, um, talking about a radio show and, and, you know, do they listen to the radio? And, and then they replied, well, no, I don't have a car. Like, just like, like that's the only place that you might actually have a radio. <laughs> that right. said, uh, the presence of WXTJ on, on UVA grounds, uh, I think is also, um, been its own way of of getting more students uh, streaming audio and also using smart speakers to do so. I mean, that's kind of one of our campaigns is just to try and say, Hey, you've already got the smart speaker. All you have to do is say play WXTJ or, or play WTJU. And it will, you know, Um, it's sort of a back to the future thing. And I think honestly um, for a lot of our students, uh, college radio uh, DJs are sort of the algorithm they're looking for, and it's not an algorithm at all; it's an actual person.
1: <laughs> right. So instead um, of a Spotify algorithm or a Pandora algorithm, they can have this stream in which uh, a human being is behind the controls and or, or is curated what they're about to listen to.
3: Yeah, and someone someone from their college community, possibly mm-hmm. even a friend of theirs, is the one who's sharing their music with them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I do think though that uh, this is a look. This is a, a thing that. Uh, radio stations across the country are, are thinking about and worried about. I am too. I mean, the the average age of my listeners, even at WTJU, you know, kind of keeps edging up each year. Um, and so, you know, we, we've got some time for sure. FM radio is not just going away, but at the same time, how do we kind of keep that... Uh, new audience coming back and coming in to be a part of it. Um, for me also, um, one of the ways we're investing besides just trying to get people to use our digital streams is also, um, you know, we, we started a podcast collective a couple years ago. And so we've got about 12 shows in active production right now that are all, it's kind of like a public access kind of network. Um, people come in, they can use the studios for free and, and, and we also do some workshops and host them on Libsyn and SoundCloud. And, and we offer all that as a free service, uh, to people who have a good idea.
1: Yeah, so it's interesting that you should bring up podcasting, uh, Nathan, uh, since, you know, that that's a, a part of the Infinite Dial Report, too. And, and, you know, they do they introduce this all all this data with a live webinar.
3: Yeah. Wait, can I I want to derail this a little bit because, you know, Nathan, we had you on the show August 20th, 2019, and you told us about the podcast studio. And I think at the time uh, it was really uh, barely off the ground or was it a dream in your head? I don't know. So how's it how's it been six months?
0: Uh, yeah, it actually had been around for a little while at that point. It's still, um, I, I will say it's, it's gotten more robust. Um, I have a, a new staffer who I brought in in August, right around the time of that interview, actually. And, uh, sort of coordinating the podcast collective has been part of her role. So it's really been great to, to see some of these podcasts really, um, uh, develop more from the jump you know so, and you
3: were you're were telling us earlier i mean uh, a second ago when it was still the radio stream not the the podcast only stream you were telling us that it's kind of like a public access podcast studio for your community there in charlottesville virginia which i think is a really unique model that radio survivor sort of um we are always very excited to hear about these and they're they're not <laughs> as they're not as common as they maybe should be in the year 2020
0: yeah, I was um, really taken by what PRX does up with the podcast garage. Uh, but like everything in Charlottesville, when you adapt something like that to Charlottesville, you know, I'm not in a, a metro of millions of people. I'm in a metro of like 160,000 people. And so, you know, I can't charge for the, in the same way. Um, and so what we do, and honestly, I, I see it as a, a sort of a public good. My goal with it one of my goals for sure is to have some good podcasts that people listen to. But then another goal really is to nurture this this creative community of audio storytellers centered around the station. And so for me, saying, yeah, come on in. You can use our studio. We'll provide some training. We'll provide some distribution for you. We'll provide some studio time and, and gear. That's all part of that service. And, um, you know, we fund it. With the occasional fee for service, uh, occasionally a different part of UVA will hire us to do a podcast. Mm. Uh, we basically just, um, you know, funnel that money right back into into the the basic costs, which are not that much—four or five thousand dollars a year uh, for all the distribution and stuff. And so, yeah, it all kind of works out. Um, and you know, just having all those networks and connections with people making audio has been really beneficial um, already uh, to the station.
1: Yeah, I think you know, it's interesting. I think ten years ago. And it was similar with, say, internet radio fifteen years ago. Some community radio stations and sometimes college stations were a little wary, worrying that the digital efforts would compete and and and, and sap either resources or and or listeners away from their core broadcast activities. And that those fears seem to have, I, in my perception, and just you know being out there and talking with folks at different stations. Um, have seemed to have been allayed. They seem to have seeped away over time. And Nathan, I wonder what, what your perception is, you know, if people see this as additive at WTJU um, or, you know, and if you have some perception, because you're also been very active, you know, in, in community radio as a whole in the United States and, and, and active with the with the uh, National Federation of Community Broadcasters, are, are, you know, or do people see this as, 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 a, net, as a net plus, a net add addition, and, and are less concerned about it uh, taking away either resources or listeners?
0: We definitely, I I definitely don't have anybody who's like, boy, that's really going to take our listeners away because it's all part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, what's the most common form of like a podcast network at stations like mine is they take their news shows or the public affairs shows and they slap them on the internet. Um, and then it's a podcast. Um. You know, like we've talked about during this show, my station is predominantly a music show. And you can't just put, uh, rather, my station is predominantly a music station. People tune in for largely music programming. And so you can't just slap a music show online in the same way. That's not legal. Um, but um, we still have a need in our town to tell stories. Um Besides just music, there's other cultural things here as well. It's very big on history. There's a lot of local news and state news that that's uh, being talked about and discussed through UVA and otherwise. And it's just a great uh, um, platform for students and others in the community as well to to make great radio, to learn how to do this stuff. And and so it's an, edu- it's, it fills the educational mission. It fills the sort of community public service mission. Um, and it's also just kind of a fun thing to do. So, um, our podcast network is, is certainly a little bit more off brand in terms of not just being about music. Um, so it's not just about music. It's definitely a little bit more expansive than just that brand. But, um, I mean, I think some people at the station might see it as, as, well, that's kind of an interesting side thing. It's not really our main thing. And, you know, they're not wrong. It's not making us our, our core money. But at the same time, it's an important space to be in. And I see it as an investment in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, and I, I, I've
2: heard from other people that it often brings in new people to a station who might not have joined up otherwise. Because podcasting has this cachet and and might be of interest and appealing to different sorts of folks than are interested in doing Music community yeah. radio.
0: It really has been bringing in a lot more people um, who are interested in production in different ways. A lot more students who uh, want to be involved in audio, but not in silly music shows. Um, and so that's actually been kind of rad to see. What's what's kind of funny is you know we have a lot of people who roll up and and. You know, want to do podcasts? They've heard about it. It's sort of the sexy tech right now. And then they show up, and we say, "Okay, well, here's how it works. We need you to develop uh, a good show (laughs) idea. Think about your audience. uh, Come up with three pilots, and then we'll distribute them for you." And boy, after
1: one pilot, a lot of people. (laughs) Wow, (laughs) three pilots. That that's uh, you're putting. I mean, and I I think it's great, by the way. But um, yeah, you're giving them a bar. Why why do you make them? Uh, develop three pilots for you what's the reasoning behind behind raising the bar that high um, if they can come up with
0: three pilots and learn some things along the way uh, about their format and make it you know sharp um, but then also really learn is this something you want to do I mm. mean a, a lot of people can put together one pilot and it'll be great and sound good but if we've already, you know, but then we have to invest in a logo and, and in uh, the distribution accounts and in all the rest. And it's like, okay, well, you know, let's let's practice and make sure this is something you want to do first. So you're giving uh, them a lot of
1: help, right? So in part, mm-hmm. you're saying we're going to invest in you. So you need to be able to make this minimal investment in, in, in the medium and, and in this effort.
0: Yeah. Uh, it is a podcast collective that is trying to reach different you know an audience sure different shows different audiences um you know there's a lot of at-home podcasters that don't really care about their audience and that's that's perfectly fine it's just a little different than what we're doing we do want to reach somebody
1: and so right. we,
0: yeah yeah
1: no that's always i mean that's something that we talked about quite a bit here on on the show about podcasting in particular but also about you know sort of radio as well that you know it's okay to want to express yourself and 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 you know to just do whatever you want to do, but that there is this difference between uh, having an audience in mind, thinking about an audience, and looking to do that kind of service and it's not as if you either one is better than the other, necessarily. sometimes people do things for themselves or just things that they have to express, and it finds an audience as well hey Paul, tell what? us tell us about audience data Tell you about audience data, well, yeah, there is an audience. <laughs> But no, um, what we've learned, you know, as of now, coming into 2020, is that, you know, 104 million people in the United States have listened to a podcast in the last month. Um, That is now about uh, 37% of the U.S. population. By comparison, uh, just about 90%, I believe, I'm sorry, not this number right in front of me, have listened to radio in the last month. So, you know, it's growing. Um, but it is not necessarily as ubiquitous as radio, but I would argue the listening can be very different. And the folks who may have listened to radio have listened to music, have listened very passively and podcasts tend to be more active. People choose exactly. You don't just turn them on. You choose the program, you choose the host. Um, and that's an audience, which, uh, in many ways may be, uh, somewhat more demanding, uh, on you and and what you do may have higher expectations uh, for how you are um, occupying their time. But it is definitely an increase. It's the first time that podcast listening has crested that 100 million mark uh, in terms of listenership in the United States. It's up 14 million from last year. So that's 14 million people have started listening to podcasts in the last year. and And what I think is important about that is that, I mean, that really represents fresh ears, And what we're seeing out of that is that that population of podcast listeners is l- looking like the United States, demographically speaking, much more so. Um, in the past, it skewed more male. It skewed a little bit more, uh, you know, 35 and older and skewed white and, and upper middle class. And what we're finding now is that, you uh, it is becoming much more diverse, uh, racially speaking. It is now gender-balanced in terms of listenership. And mm-hmm. the biggest growth is amongst uh, people aged uh, 12 to 34. Yeah. Um, hey, Paul, f- I'm
3: wondering, you know, 14 million new listeners, and my my very first question was, are they listening to
1: 14 million different podcasts? We don't know, um, <laughs> to tell you the truth. But, I mean, arguably, right, uh, they are... Listening to a lot of the same podcasts as everybody else, okay, yeah. in, in some ways. But uh, podcast listening, even though there is sort of a chart, and there are, you know, that you see an Apple Podcast or that you'll read about online, um, you know, pod, you know, podcasts do not have the kind of. Um, uh, social like everyone watches the same thing kind of thing as t- tv even yeah. and tv is much more bifurcated than it used to be or, I mean, but even even the as top netflix,
3: th- th- though i mean everyone right. everyone in my community will talk about the same netflix shows at the same times even strangers that i right. don't know on the internet and, and, and podcasting, generally all talking about one show at a time every every week
1: you know just to throw out a, a figure you know likely the, the the most popular podcast in the united states is probably the joe rogan show Right, which is both on YouTube and in an audio podcast. And, you know, the numbers, he's got probably 2 million-ish listeners, right? But that's 2 million out of 104 million, right? So as a percentage of overall podcast listenership... Um, it, it, it's not even. It's not even. It's not even close to a, a, a large minority, right? And so, your question is very salient there, Eric. Then is that you say how many of those, you know, fourteen million people are listening to, uh, you know, a plethora of maybe millions of podcasts? And the answer is probably a lot of them. The the and I, I will say this that you know this is something that I explore and I look at, and I can't say too much about it because it is my job. The overlaps aren't what you think they would be. You'd think that, oh, this person listens to this show and therefore they must listen to all these other shows. And it's right. not as true as, you would, as, as people would guess. That yeah. actually, no, it's, They get enough of that one kind of thing from that one show. So that or or show we have diverse tastes, right? Yeah. Or we have diverse tastes. We like comedy and we like true crime and we like hard news commentary, right? Or we like cooking shows and... And we also like Joe Rogan. and I would
3: say like I like I like one show that's on the charts. and then I have this other show that's like my friend I met last week and and I listened to their show, and I'm one of the twenty people.
1: yeah, you know
2: I think even at radio stations, people like during kfJC's fundraiser, there's a comment section when people donate and and I guess we're always surprised at the variety of shows people will mention that they're interested in like on on, just shows, on KfJC yeah. Yeah. Shows that we might think would attract an entirely different audience. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, sometimes people have all these different aspects to them.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and we, you know, it's easy when you, especially when you see something like a chart to think, oh my goodness, these top shows are soaking up all the listeners and I'm not, I'm not going to have a chance to, to reach a listenership because everybody listens to this American life. And the numbers just simply don't bear it out on top of the fact that that this is – that zero-sum mentality, right, doesn't take into account uh, the growth in listening and particularly the growth in listening amongst people who are under the age of 35, right, uh, who are – who we have to remember uh, people are constantly – Aging into that group, right? <laughs> and and that and that young people often have more free time uh, and and more ability to take on new media than, than folks who uh, are older than thirty five. And so, and Nathan, you know, you, you know, you sort of mentioned your podcast collective, and you notice uh, that that young people, uh, you know, and college students are interested in. In that, do you see, you know, to some extent, your podcast collector there at, at uh, the University of Virginia as as this way in of also helping to kind of, uh, uh, you know, bring in both, you know, young people as listeners who may be attached to the, to young people who are producers. Uh, the short answer is yes. <laughs>
0: um, you know, I don't have great metrics and all this yet, but sure. uh, it's hard to get. Just in, it is hard to get, but just in the way that. Um, uh, sort of the you know I I read the same kind of research you do in terms of the the average age of some podcast listeners versus the average age of FM terrestrial listeners where I have more more data from past uh, listenership surveys um you know and honestly most of the podcasts in our collective you know are 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 counting tens of listeners you know sure uh we have a few that are in the hundreds and and that's great um but um but yeah that's not <laughs> we're we're trying to grow it but you know how it is
1: and that's astounding though really i mean you know folks again will hear about the big success stories of of the top podcasts and you know that's sort of like comparing your indie documentary uh, to the avengers right it it it, right. It's, it doesn't quite make sense and i think it's only because podcasting is Easier to do as an independent person than you know a feature film on the scale of the Avengers. That that the comparison even comes to bear. Uh, But in fact, that, that you're you have these podcasts that are reaching tens of people. I mean, in many cases, you know, on some community stations or college stations, little power film stations, they're not reaching many more than tens of people, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, at any given hour. And I don't say that to put them down, just that that's the realities of, of listening, especially in a smaller community, you know, that's not, uh, you know, one of the top, you know, 50 metroplexes in the country.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, And, you know, we're all, I think the biggest thing that that my podcast collective is trying to grapple with everybody who's one of our, our, you know, sort of community or student producers and then, uh, the staff as well Is like How do we grow the audience For some of these things And you know We read all about The same recommendations That I'm sure you all have seen You know Get on other people's podcasts Who can cross promote And and uh, you know Just build that network One person at a time And use social And use website And you start start a newsletter And all of things You know um, I just did a Reddit AMA About Virginia State Politics For my state politics podcast Bold Dominion um, Which was cool It's great You know I saw a little spike Of another 30 or 40 listeners For that mm-hmm. But, um, wow, that's but great. you know Yeah. But, um, but you know, it's also, uh, (laughs) there's no, there's no magic bullet on that. And it's, it's a challenge for me in the radio space. You know, I'm used to, you put something on the radio and you know, based on the time of day, there's going to be two, three, four, five, maybe eight or 900 listeners at a time on my station. Again, depending on the time of the day. Um, and and with podcasts, boy, you gotta build up that audience one person at a time. And it's like mm-hmm. you know, some of the some of the least listened to day parts of WTJU, I mean, if I had that many podcast listeners, it's like, oh this is a great episode, you know. Right. Uh so yeah, it's but, it's but a it's challenge. Again,
3: you know, we talk about this on Radio Survivor all the time. Um, you know, partly because of uh, well, everyone's obsessed with listener numbers, but like those one hundred listeners at your radio station—you never know um, just how focused they are on your content. It's background content, maybe, but we don't know. But it's with, on in the with, other
1: room, and you walk yeah. in and out. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but with but with podcasts, you know, a hundred percent know that somebody chose to click on your show that week and and, and is paying and close and attention.
1: It. Yeah. Yeah. it and it, so it it's is. A, mm-hmm.
3: It's a different form, and then again, what is this? You know, your your community. A community of people that have a passion for uh, local politics in Virginia um, is different than Joe Rogan's community, right? Joe Rogan's not going to talk about local politics in Virginia right. twice.
1: You know, uh, and I and that and it goes back to you know the fact that uh, Nathan, there at your your podcast collective, you ask people to create three pilots because in a way, what I hear out of that is that you're asking them to respect uh, their listeners, right? To put in some time to to learn how to do this and to and to put some effort, and not that every show has to be expertly crafted with the with the music beds and you know all just so and every moment you know. Uh, just fretted over every edit fretted right. over, but that they be able to produce something in which um, you know, when someone chooses to tune in and, and gets that first few minutes, they can expect that this is what they're gonna get each yeah. and every time. Yeah. More or less.
0: More or less. More I or mean, less. you know, just that you learn a lot of things both about the show you want to make and about whether you're really into
1: it by making three episodes. Yeah. Absolutely. Well wonderful. Uh Nathan Moore, general manager of WTJU at the University of Virginia and as well as the staff advisor WXTJ Low Power FM student run there at the University of Virginia and uh, apparently also somebody centrally around a podcast collective we really appreciate spending some time here <laughs> with us at, at Radio Survivor this week glad to do it thank you all for having me
2: thanks Nathan